Welcome back to another episode of Want to Watch here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at that little bit closer at some of football's up-and-coming talents. My name is Alfred. I'm your host for today. Unfortunately, today we're not joined by my usual co-host, Kish, who is unfortunately sick, so uh, I hope he, he gets well soon. But we are joined, and I'm very happy to announce, by a very special guest. His name is Micha Gabechava, and he's currently a, a new scout over at KAA Ghent in Belgium. How are you doing, Micha? Yeah, hi Alfred. Thanks a lot for having me today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I always enjoy having such conversations with uh, good people. Uh, so yeah, I can't wait to dive into it. Yeah, I'm also very excited. Uh, obviously, the, this whole podcast and discussions are always based around scouting and finding the, the next um, up-and-coming talents. And so having the chance to have um, a professional scout on the on the podcast is obviously um, a great opportunity to actually get some more expert um, opinions and insight on the world of scouting and some of the top talents uh, coming through today. So I, I think to, to begin with, maybe you can give us uh, a quick rundown, introduction um, of who you are, what you do, and maybe some of the experiences that you've had so far in football. Yeah, great. So um For that, I have to go back to 2020, but like not that long ago, uh, because yeah, I'm still quite young, 23 years old. So um, I started my scouting journey in 2020 when, uh, yeah, during COVID basically, where I found myself uh, scouting for a Georgian agency, like local agency back then, a small agency, but now a much bigger one. Um, and the, the first player that I scouted for an agency was Georgi Mamardashvili, uh, the famous yeah. goalkeeper now the famous goalkeeper at Valencia. And uh, he turned out to be our first client. Um, and then, yeah, a few months after that, uh, we made a deal with Valencia. And yeah, as you said, uh, the rest is history. And in the meanwhile, I also did um, several internships um, because I, I knew that oh, I always wanted to work for a football club. Um, and uh, actually, the first internship that I did was with a Danish scouting company called Melemand. Um, and um, I did it for uh, for four months. And um, shortly after that, I found myself at Odense, uh, a Danish Superliga club. Um, I scouted uh, voluntarily uh, for a couple of months. And after that, um, somewhere in early 2021, um, I ended up at Villarreal. Um, and I did a six-month internship um, at Villarreal. And by the way, during this whole time, I was also studying um, sports management uh, on my bachelor's degree in Barcelona. Um, and I also did some uh, additional like scouting courses, like online courses, like the PFSA and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, shortly after graduating, well, as soon as I graduated, I actually stopped uh, working at the agency, like nothing personal. I just uh, had my uh, preference of working for a football club rather than rather than an agency. So, um, so yeah, um, in that summer, so it was the summer of 2022. And in the summer of 2022, um, a board member of Dynamo uh, contacted me because um, basically he knew me well. Uh, he knew that I had some background in scouting. Uh, I had some education. So he liked me. Uh, he reached out to me. And uh, initially he offered me a data scouting role, which was something like um, they provided me with a data scouting platform and I had to find some players um, through this data scouting platform, basically. And whenever I identified a player, I would then go on to watch them on Y Scout. And, uh, and basically, after 
liking them, let's say, um, then I would send this. That's the most interesting part, by the way. Uh, when when I like the player on Y Scout after watching his games, several games, I would, for some unknown reason, I would send this player to our opposition analyst. Um, and then basically this guy had to watch the player. And if he liked the player, then he would um, show the player to the head coach who then made the final decision. Um, and I quickly realized that we didn't have any scouting structure or like anything uh, in place. Um, so because of that, I um, introduced this um, internship uh, program idea and uh, the CEO actually liked it a lot. Um, and uh, we started this uh, remote video scouting internship um, in uh, in early January this year. And basically the, the idea was to, to establish the first ever scouting department at Dynamo, which uh, might sound a bit ridiculous, uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, that was the reality. Um, and uh, basically how we structured it, it was that uh, because I've done, I had done some uh, internships, like these three internships that I mentioned, um, I took some good stuff from each one of them and created a customized version um, suited for, for our club's needs. And basically, um, in the beginning, I thought that maybe we would hire somewhere around five or maybe 10 scouts. Uh, but after announcing uh, the internship, my email just got flooded with applications. And uh, at the end, I ended up hiring uh, 38 scouts. <laughs> yeah. So initially it was 510 and then I ended up hiring 38 scouts. And of course, I had to restructure everything because like managing 510 scouts is much different than uh, managing 38 scouts. So I divided them into groups, um, into small groups. Each group had uh, a lead scout um, and uh, this lead scout would coordinate all the other scouts within his group. And uh, each scout was assigned to a certain league. So, uh, for example, you would be assigned to, um, I don't know, Colombia, let's say first division of Colombia, and you would scout um, Colombia's first division uh, for one month. After one month, I would shuffle this, reshuffle these leagues, and you would watch, I don't know, maybe Ecuador or maybe even Croatia. I don't know. Uh, the, main, uh, the main targets were South America and Eastern Europe. And, uh, and basically, I would send, we, we only had, uh, actually, we only had one Y Scout account. So I would have to send uh, all the games to all the scouts uh, on a weekly basis, two games per week. Um, and they would watch the game, they would uh, write a uh, match report. And, uh, and and an individual player report on those players who stood out, basically. Uh, and that was it. Um, we started this in January uh, and we did this for six months. Um, and by the end of it, uh, it was basically already summer. So we were ready to sign players. And uh, the good thing is that we actually signed four players um, with the help of this internship. It was a huge, huge win. Um, now, uh, the thing was that, <clears throat> the interesting thing was that uh, we still received, and I personally still received a lot of criticism because of that, um, which is, I would say, understandable uh, fr from uh, from a different perspective. But uh, I believe that people couldn't really understand uh, the bigger picture and, uh, and basically everything uh, that was happening behind the scenes. So people, like a lot of people were saying that, Odinamo is a big club. Um, they they cannot afford to not pay their scouts and make them work freely uh, and like uh, for for free and uh, and everything you know. But the thing was that uh, they they were missing a point, a crucial point, uh, which was uh, 
basically the fact that yes, Dynamo Tbilisi was a big club, but like, uh, have you seen Dynamo Tbilisi uh, in European competitions lately? I don't think so because uh, it's been like 22 or 23 years since we we were last time in in the Europa League uh, group stages. Um, uh, so yeah, um, and uh, I I've ne- I never actually um, addressed those issues publicly. So um, it's good that I now have a chance to express my opinion, even though like I highly respect uh, everyone's opinion and everyone has the right to express their. Um, their opinion um, on Twitter or wherever it is. Um, yeah, I, I've never actually explained why we did it. Um, like in detail, I've never explained it uh, publicly. So I, I, the way I saw it and the, the, the way the club saw it was that it was a win-win situation. Uh, on one hand, uh, scouts would get um, great experience. Uh, they could put something on their CV. Um, and on the other hand, uh, the club would get uh, a lot of information. Um, and basically, I, I did this because I knew that this was helpful. Uh, one of the reasons why I got hired at, at Dynamo was purely because of that, because they saw that I had experience at Villarreal, I had experience at Odense, I, I had experience at this agency, for example, at uh, another scouting company. So all this voluntary stuff that I did really contributed to my uh, to my uh, end result, you know, Um so I knew that this experience would help a lot of aspiring scouts, young scouts who want to get started. Um, and that, that was the way I saw it. Uh, now, a lot of people, as I said, um, mentioned that we made them work for free. But um, I mean, uh, if you look at it from a different perspective, we never actually forced anyone to send the application, right? Um, it was basically voluntary. Uh, we never promised anyone that... Uh, yeah, at the end of the internship or during the internship, they would get paid or anything. We were like very clear. Um, yes, uh, I mentioned at, at the beginning of the internship that there might have been a possibility of hiring uh, maybe three or four scouts at the end of the internship, but this totally depended, and I explained that clearly, it totally depended on um, on the financial state of the club. And unfortunately, after six months, uh, the financial state was much worse than before uh, starting the internship. So we were unable to uh, to hire some scouts. But uh, the biggest takeaway uh, from the internship for me was the fact that um, a lot of scouts, actually quite a few scouts, started um, working for uh, football clubs, um, e- even on a part-time or maybe in some cases on, a f- on full-time contracts. And even more important is the fact that everyone enjoyed it. Uh, it was entertaining. It was not strict, like I wouldn't punish you for missing the deadline or something like that. Like it was all about having fun, discovering new players and uh, yeah, uh, gaining new experience at a professional football club. That was it. Yeah, I remember the the first time I heard about you was through that um, internship uh, post on Twitter or something. Uh, the first time I definitely heard, uh, heard, heard about your name. And at the time, I, I thought it was just a, a great opportunity for sure to just have a first experience as um, a scout or, or a um, remote video scout. Um, I think the thing is with uh, football is that these days it's um, harder and harder to actually get that first opportunity because there's so much so much demand and not that many um, vacancies uh, available. So uh, yeah, I thought it was a good opportunity, and also obviously on the the announcement it's 
it's written that it's unpaid work. So as you said, it's, no one's being forced. If you want to do it, you do it. But it's, yeah, no one's being obliged to to work for free. So um, I, I don't really get the criticism there. I think it probably um, grew from the fact that people are the people who reacted are maybe so used to your like. Um, Western European football and football clubs, yeah, and, the, and the amount of money those clubs generate and and revenue and and the fact that um, even just scouting in general, as you mentioned, um, you creating that scouting internship was like the first proper um, scouting sector in Dinamo Tbilisi, even though it's like a huge club. <laughs> so compared to like maybe clubs in the French second or third division will probably already have some some scouting uh, some sort of scouting organization and that compared to like the the biggest club in in the country uh, not having that just shows goes to show uh, the differences in I guess development development in some some ways uh, yeah. of football in in some Eastern European countries and and the western uh, countries Um but so so yeah so following following that scouting internship which ended this summer then yeah uh, and then um, then we started another one in August um, the second one and uh, and yeah then we had to cut it short because then I moved to Ghent after three months um, in in mid November so yeah the second one was uh, three months okay so so how did that opportunity come around did they contact you did you contact them how does all how does moving from one club to another as a scout actually work yeah that's a good question actually um yeah it was not me uh reaching out to them it was the other way around actually um so what happened was that um basically uh their head of scouting changed so uh their previous head of scouting he left the club uh, in somewhere in October, by the end of October. And then uh, the new guy who came in, uh, he wanted to restructure some things and he was actually looking for someone who would um, who would cover the Eastern European region. And uh, yeah, he basically uh, found me uh, through mutual contacts um, and he reached out to me. And yeah, that's, that's how I started. As simple as that, to be honest. Yeah, sometimes in the world of scouting, some, some things happen really, really quickly. And yeah, uh, very coincidentally, I would say. Um, sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and th- that that's how things happen, to be honest. And that's uh, how this happened to me as well. Okay, interesting. Th- does, it, does it have any link to the fact that maybe um, Ghent specifically in the past has been scouting, I believe, um, Georgian football in general? I know that... Um, yes. Georgie... Chakvetadze, right? Yeah. Signed yeah. from uh, Dinamo Tbilisi a few years ago to KAA Ghent. Did it have a link with that or just they, they saw your profile and thought you were an interesting guy to add to the team? Uh, to be honest, I, I'm not uh, really sure if, if they were looking for a Georgian guy specifically, but I'm pretty sure that uh, they're interested in Georgian football because they see that it's rising um, and we have quite a few interesting players now in, in youth ranks. So I think that might have had an effect. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, as you said, uh, Ghent has some history with Georgian players and Belgium in general has some history with Georgian players and also with uh, Eastern Europeans, especially Ghent has very good history with uh, Ukrainian players. So I think um, all this was a good mix. So that's how I ended up there. Yeah, actually, speaking of 
Belgium and and um, Georgian players. I was usually uh, recently actually having a, a think about um, Union Saint-Gilloise yes. and the fact that um, their player Camwen Puertas, the current like top assister in Europe, would probably be leaving uh, this winter or, or or at the latest this summer. And so I was kind of have a, having a think um, about maybe which player they could aim for to replace him. I know that. Uh, Saint-Gilles like to kind of recruit in advance. If they know this player is going to leave in the summer, maybe aim for a player the winter before or the year before. Uh, and one of the players that I, I wrote down was a player playing in Austria, Sturm Graz, uh, oh. Otar Kitejvili, right? And I I, th- I feel like he's, he's like one of the most suited profiles to kind of replace Puertas. Do, do you know a lot about him? Yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic player. He's actually one of my favorite players in the national team. I always enjoyed watching him. And uh, um, and the thing is, yes, technically he's fantastic. Like on the ball, he's amazing. Also, his work rate is amazing. But uh, maybe there's only one thing that uh, might not allow him to play at the same level uh, in, in in Belgium, uh, which is his physicality. Um, and because like he's had some bad injuries and yeah some yeah bad luck with injuries um yeah pretty recently he also had one and um i think he also missed the, the last international break because of that but yeah he he's pretty unfortunate with those injuries and uh, but like when when he's in form he's fantastic um yeah he's been performing really well especially lately for Sturmgratz and um Yes, scored some very important goals and uh, is a fantastic player. Yeah, I, I also had, had him on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw him specifically playing in Europa League. Like, I think they're playing, they were in Sporting's group. Um, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, um, Atalanta, I believe, as well, were in their group. So, yeah, I saw a good few performances from, from him and he really impressed me. But as you said, uh, a player like that who kind of relies on his technibil- te- technicality, sorry, and kind of explosiveness and, and ball carrying and changing directions and all that. If you struggle with injuries, it can always uh, slow you down in that sense. Okay, so speaking of uh, Georgian football, you mentioned that um, Georgian p- football was kind of uh, evolving recently um, in the past year, specifically with the emergence of Kvaratskhelia. Um how, how would you say that his emergence and his performance with Napoli and them winning the title in the Serie A and going so far in the Champions League and shining on that European stage, how do you say that has kind of changed the way that Georgians see or consume football, I guess? Has it changed the way that like maybe more people are following football now? Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um and a very interesting one. Um, and I would say uh, that um, it had a huge, huge chain reaction. Like people um, outside of Georgia might not even understand how big of a thing that was. Um, it changed a lot of things. Like uh, basically, if you look at uh, Italian clubs now, they they scout, uh, they scout Georgia quite frequently. Uh, there's one boy uh, from Torpedo Kutaisi who will most probably sign for Juventus' next gen. There's one guy, Ed Frosinone, uh, a a winger. Uh, yeah. There are two centre-backs, uh, uh, Vlodjoshvili in, in Serie B. There, there's also one centre-back in Primavera. So 
there are quite a few Georgian players already um, in Italy. So Kvartskhelia started a huge chain reaction of events, uh, not only in Georgia, but outside of Georgia as well. Now, a lot of clubs uh, actually look at Georgia quite seriously. For example, uh, Rapid Vien, uh, they they had some, some players, like a few players, Georgian players in the past, but now, for example, they... They took uh, Pierre Gale from De La Corri, uh, who's not Georgian, but they it, it shows that they actually scouted the league and they knew who the player was. Uh, so a lot of clubs are starting to take um, take the Georgian league more seriously. Um, and within Georgia, uh, of course, like uh, of course, like no one was a Napoli fan. But now everyone is a Napoli fan. Like everyone supports Napoli. Everyone knows who Osimhen is, who Lobotka is, and who ab- absolutely everyone is. Uh, so, and like uh, just a funny story, uh, you might probably know it, but uh, when Hvicha Kvartskhelia started playing for, for Napoli, uh, there was such a huge demand on tickets and uh, on traveling to, um, to Italy that one of the betting companies actually organized flights uh, on a weekly basis. <laughs> so direct flights from Tbilisi to Italy just to watch Hvicha Kvartskhelia. Can you imagine? So uh, I, I've never heard anything like that in other country. So it, it shows how big of a thing it was uh, for Georgian people. Um, and yeah, um, in terms of, as I said, uh, like maybe, probably, uh, one if you go back like uh, it, to this chain, uh, maybe uh, the reason why I, I am at Ghent today might be the fact that Hvicha Kvartskhelia kickstarted all these things. And... Uh, because of Richard Guarascelia, uh, people started looking at Georgian football as a rising nation. Uh, yes, of course, there are some players, some talented players, but if not Richard Guarascelia, no one would have looked at them as seriously as they're looking at them right now. Yeah, I think the maybe mo- most comparable example I can think of is um, South Korea with Kangin Lee and, and Hyung Min Son and also, um, another player was playing at Bordeaux uh, at some point. I can't forget. I can't remember his name. But or often, even before that, Jason Park. Yeah, as well. Yeah, um, I feel like every time like a, a big South Korean player signs for a club, a lot of South Koreans start following that club, and the club also looks for sometimes like South Korean sponsors or things like that to kind of um, um, take advantage of that attraction that they've found. So I guess it's kind of a s- similar phenomenon. Um, but I, I feel like it's also kind of um, dynamized um, Georgian the Georgian national team. Like, sure, it's it, maybe it's a coincidence. But ever since uh, Clara came through, um, I feel like the national team in general has just been performing maybe better than it had been before. Obviously, apart from him, there are a lot of other players like uh, Mikotadz and. Um, and uh, Kitejvili and all, all of those guys playing for the national team. But um, watching a, a few of their games during the um, Euro qualifiers, uh, specifically against like Norway and Scotland and all that, even though they, they did come short of qualifying, I feel like the level in general of Georgian football has just um, progressed immensely since that um, last season. Yeah, uh, definitely, 100%. I totally agree. And you could also see that in attendances. For example, uh, previously, like if I compare maybe uh, seven, eight years ago, um, yeah, you could definitely buy a ticket uh, to the national team game like without any problems. 
even like few minutes before the game. Like it, it was uh, not empty. The stadium was never empty, I would say, uh, at least from what I remember. There were always some people, at least half the stadium was always full. And by the way, half the stadium is around 20, 25,000 because Dinamo Arena is 55,000. Um, so, but now, uh, as soon as the the tickets are uh, announced and as soon as the like the sales are open, uh, after an hour or two, you cannot find the ticket anymore. Like it's already like immediately sold out in two hours, which is crazy. Like uh, the website crashes all the time. Like all the time. So uh, so yeah, I mean, and in general, as as you said, the team has been performing well because obviously, like uh, if you look at the um, goal involvement, Switzerland is is top. Uh, his goals and assists um, over the last few years have been amazing and has been helping us. Of course, obviously, but yeah, as you said, like you could feel that all the players around him are hyped and more motivated to to do even better. You know, yeah. And, and would you say in those stadiums when they they fill up for the national team games, it's a hundred percent Georgians, or are there a lot of um, um, non like non locals coming to the games to watch specifically Kvara and the other the other stars? No, it's like. A... I would say like 90%, at least 90% Georgians. Uh, sometimes when we play against Scotland, I love their fans <laughs> because they're only fans who travel like in, in, in big groups, you know, so we always have good experiences with them. But but yeah, um, other than Scotland, uh, when whenever there is a, there is an away fan section, it's, it's not that big actually. And uh, most of the fans are, yeah, 90% at least are from Georgia. Okay, yeah. That's definitely interesting. I didn't have that insight on the the way that I had impacted like Georgian football consumption from yes. actual like local Georgians in general. But yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I, I did want to touch on um, a completely not not completely different topic, but um, apart, apart from the Georgian national team and Georgian scouting and Dinamo, um, for for you specifically, uh, I wanted to kind of touch on what you use uh, in terms of scouting methods, um, maybe the, the first thing you notice in a player, um, how you have incorporated data in your scouting methods as well, because although data has always been a part of scouting, um, I feel like very recently, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, very recently, in the past like five to 10 years, um, it's become like an essential part of scouting much more than ever before with all the technologies with Opta, Opta Stats Perform, uh, Stats Bomb, etc. Yeah. Um, y Scout. Um, yeah. How how have you incorporated data uh, into your scouting methods? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, basically, just to put it simply, um, scouting at Dynamo and scouting at Ghent uh, are just two totally different worlds. I did totally different thing at Dynamo and I'm doing totally different thing at Ghent. Uh, first of all, because of the requirements and the needs of the club, because the players that I was looking for at Dynamo are not up to the standard of, maybe not up to the standard of uh, Ghent, most of them. Um, and and basically, um, what, I, what I wanted to touch upon is the fact that sometimes... Um, especially young scouts who are just starting up um, ask me for, for similar questions, especially like, what do I have to look out for? Like, 
um, and uh, what should I notice and all this kind of stuff. And uh, from my experience and from what I've heard and from what I've learned, I can tell you that there is no universal answer as to you have to find this uh, to be sure that this is a good player and you have to find this just to be sure that this player will reach that amount of potential. Like there is no way because there are there are a lot of things that um, uh, affect the player's uh, development, a lot of things that are just out of your control. Uh, and sometimes that is very um, underestimated, I would say, because uh, the, the psychological part is, is crucial. It, for me, is the most important one. Even if I see a player, let's say, who is technically amazing, let's say, there might be a player who is less uh, technically developed, but because of his mentality and his uh, work ethic and his dedication, he might reach a much higher level than th this guy who was a yeah good good at good with skills and uh, flary things, you know. Um, so yeah, um, just to put it that way, there is no universal answer to yeah. You have to find this uh, to be sure that uh, this is a hidden gem. Like there, there is no way. Um, but um, one thing that you have to keep in mind uh, when judging the player's potential is that um, experience and the sa sample size that you compare this player to uh, is crucial. Um, because, for example, when you're looking at wingers, let's say, when, when I'm looking at wingers, uh, young wingers, let's say, my reference point is of course, uh, and because I've seen what he was capable of 17, what he was capable of 18, at 18, at 19. You know, when you uh, watch this kind of players, uh, and not only Kvaratskhelia, like when you when you see a lot of Kvaratskhelias, um, <laughs> uh, basically what happens in your mind is that you create a sample size, and when you watch an 18-year-old uh, winger from Japan, um, if you start noticing some things that resemble those good players, those good wingers that you've seen at 18, at 19, at 20, then you should start thinking that, then you should start thinking that, oh, maybe this could be a good player. So this is one of the methods that I use uh, comparing to the sample that I've seen previously. And uh, it's been working well, I, could, <laughs> I can say. Um, yeah. yeah. So having this sample size and uh, uh, reference players in mind uh, can be a uh, a good point to to make your judgments as accurate as possible. And a, as you said uh, about data, uh, right? Um, yes, um, it is crucial if you ask me because uh, in today's world where everyone has access to the majority of leagues around the world, like you could basically watch any of the Caribbean islands whenever you want, um, data becomes crucial because if anything, it just saves you time. Um, and you can narrow down the search uh, according to your needs and what you're interested in specifically. And uh, and yeah, it just wins you time. That's uh, that's the thing. And in my opinion, the best way to in integrate data is to develop a customized tool, I would say, which is uh, a luxury that not many clubs can afford. Even we don't have it at Ghent. Uh, but I, I hope we can develop something like that in the near future. Basically, there are a lot of data platforms, like as you mentioned, uh, um, Stats Perform, even Stats Bomb. Um, there's Impact, there's Size Post, there's like you name it. But um, what is important, in my opinion, is to create a customized 
um, data platform that actually suits your needs and uh, like you avoid uh, looking at some random scores that this data platforms give you like uh, like ratings like like player ratings and player potential ratings and all that kind of stuff because that can be very subjective and to avoid that um, developing your own customized data platform is is the best way I, I know that it's expensive and uh, it's a big luxury but yeah uh, that's the best way yeah I think that's definitely a criticism that comes often from people who um, question the use of data with more of maybe old-fashioned standards and ways of thinking. Um, often that people who are going to question these methods um, do often refer to these like um, websites and platforms who offer ratings and all of this, which are very subjective on the different criteria that you add on players. And at the end of the day, uh, it is a, a sport which um, depends on team shapes and tactics and managers and positions and all that so just judging a, a right back because he has this amount of duels won or this amount of crosses um isn't really giving the bigger picture so yeah, as you said um having like a specific um measurement criteria for your specific needs is uh obviously the the, the best solution um and yeah uh one thing I also think that some people at times get mixed up, um, and I'm speaking from an outside point of view, which maybe you can confirm. I feel like a lot of people think scouting is just finding the next big talent. And sometimes what you need is just um, like a, a, a an experienced midfielder who does this specifically, or also, like, if you're scouting for uh, a, a club in Ligue 2 or a lower league or a lower division, you're not going to be able to get those top, top talents. And you kind of have to balance finding this hidden gem at, at, in some sense, but also a guy who will be willing to join your squad. Like, you can't, you can't be aiming for top talents in, in the Brazilian league or, like, some top, League 1 talents if you're scouting for a uh, Division 3 squ- uh, team in, in France. And I feel like some people often get that mixed up, um, not understanding why clubs go for specific players, um, even though they're used to um, these top players coming to the club. I think specifically, like when you look, because being French, I, I'm basing myself a lot on, on, on French leagues, but for example, with Olympique Lyonnais, Obviously, in the past, they were they were able to attract these top names um, or top potential talents. But these days, because the club is performing at a lower level um, and can't promise European football and can't promise top performances, they can't attract the same caliber of player uh, of players. And people don't realize that. And whenever they'll, they'll make a signing, fans will just be disappointed that they're not signing these these top guys, even though it's just not possible. Um, and I, I feel like it's kind of the same for scouting. Uh, I, I remember someone saying, I, I can't remember who, who I'm quoting, but someone saying that you, when you, you're looking at a player, you have to consider the player he's the, sorry, the, the level that he's playing at and the level that your team is playing at. So, um, if a guy looks good in this, this division, it doesn't mean that he'll be good in your division and in the opposite sense, um, 
even though this guy is in a top top talent well for your level at your club maybe he will be uh, sufficiently good um exactly so, yeah that's kind of kind of the way i look at it yeah definitely uh, that's a brilliant point uh, uh i always keep that in mind and uh, i think um people are used to thinking that scouting is all about finding hidden gems uh maybe because also um because a lot of media outlets are maybe concentrating a bit too much on only hidden gems and they're creating this perception uh, that scouting is only about finding hidden gems. Yes, all those media outlets are good. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy reading their reports and everything, but they might have unintentionally created this hype about scouting that this is only about uh, yeah finding uh, a 16-year-old somewhere uh, in a remote place in Africa. Uh, no, it's not like that. And uh, it's ex- exactly what uh, um, what I've been faced uh, immediately uh, at Ghent. Uh, basically, let's say at this transfer window, we're not looking for uh, uh, hidden gems. Uh, we just need a player uh, who will perform from day one. Um, and because of that, uh, you cannot bring uh, an inexperienced uh, um, Japanese student who has only uh, played uh, in a university league there's no way that he will immediately perform uh, in Belgium. Even though in three or four years, yes, he might become a very good player for us. We just need a player right here, right now, who will perform from day one. And uh, this is something that, uh, yeah, you you will come across this thing very frequently, actually. And I would say um, scouting is, uh, it really depends. uh, Like, for example, if we're now looking for, for an experienced player, um, in, a, in a few months' time, it, it might totally change and we might start concentrating on hidden gems. So it changes all the time. You have to adapt and uh, you have to be able to change your scope very quickly um, to, to keep up. So, so yeah, and sometimes, if you ask me, it's also um, finding those players who you actually don't need because sometimes there will be some agents uh, because you cannot avoid agents when you're a scout and when you, especially when you work for a football club, a lot of agents will reach out. Uh, they will offer you players, and sometimes when you've already scouted a uh, sufficient amount of players, you might already have this player in the database. You might already have a report on him, and uh, as soon as they send the player, you will quickly go to the database. We'll check reports. If the players is not, if the player is not good enough, that's it. Just skip the player and uh, you you carry on. Uh, this is something that I've experienced um, at Dynamo uh, and I experienced it quite a lot of times uh, because we had a fantastic database because of all the scouts that we had, all the amazing scouts that we had. Um, I, I had uh, cases maybe every, nearly every single day that, that the scout was sending, uh, this, uh, I'm sorry, the, the agent was offering me a player. And all of a sudden, I would open the database and I would see three terrible reports on this player and I would immediately skip the player. So it also saves you time. Yeah, I, I, I that reminds me something that happened at Lyon again uh, recently with um, a player they signed from a club in um, Netherlands. I forgot which, which club. I think it was Heerenven maybe, but I, I might be mistaken. It was Amin Sach which um, came to Lyon and um, spent maybe a year or a year and a half uh, at Lyon, never really performing well. And then 
I don't know how got sold to Wolfsburg for a profit on the the fee they they spent on him. I think he has a very good agent, is what I, what I'm guessing. But um, yeah, after he left, it was reported that apparently, even when he signed, there were no positive signs in his signing, and his his um his profile had been rejected by the the scouts at the club at that time. So I think that's maybe one one example from that. Um, Definitely, yeah. What I was thinking, what you were saying um, about these media's kind of um, promoting like um, hidden gems and wonder kids and all that, it's maybe also linked to video games and all your football managers and um, and other games, which will you know give potentials and these pseudo next next stars and wonder kids, even though so many of these guys who when they were 17, 18, were, were quoted to be the next big thing, uh, ended up uh, not having the the career that was expected of them. I feel like, in general, and you can you can confirm this more than than I can. Um, scouting, I feel like scouting seventeen year olds must be like the most difficult thing in the world because the players are so young, um, underdeveloped physically, they haven't evolved into the player they. Um, into the player like they, they'll actually become they sometimes don't even know what position they, they play even mentally not don't necessarily have the the proper development tactically and all that and i feel like it must be so hard to yeah really um, measure these guys talent and what they can potentially become compared to let's say finding the 25 year old guy who's been playing the same position and the same role for the past five eight years well, in that case, you know exactly what he brings to the table and what he can do. But these 17, 16-year-old guys, I, I, uh, I don't know how I would personally like be able to judge them. Yeah, definitely. As you said, um, when you're looking at a 25, 26-year-old player, um, you just see the quality immediately. Like, um, It's a pretty obvious yes or no uh, answer. Like, Can he control the ball? Either yes or no. Like. He either knows it at the age of 25, you either know how to control the ball or you don't, and that's it. While uh, when you are a 17-year-old player or an 18-year-old player, you, you have this uh, possibility to make mistakes, of course, absolutely, because you're a young player, you have you don't have the experience. And uh, and yeah, that, that's why when you're scouting, obviously, when you're looking at young players, you have to take into consideration that they will make a lot of mistakes, but you have to find those moments where, where they how can I say, where, where they show their potential, you know, there might be some um, hints uh, throughout the 90 minutes. They may, might perform terribly, but there might be some small hints that will tell you that, okay, this he did this one time, but he might be able to replicate that maybe next game, the, the game after that. So um, you have to wait for those signals, I would say. Um, and yeah, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, the mental, uh, uh, the psychological side is the most important for me. It's the most important in young players. It's the thing that decides whether or not you will reach the top level or not. Even if you are a kid from Brazil that does all the tricks out there, your psychological, your mental side might not be in the right place because of which you might not ever end up playing football um, on a top level. So, so yeah, definitely, um, in, in especially youngsters like uh, 15 16 year olds uh yeah their psychology is uh, 
I mean, changing every single day, I would say. So it's very, very hard to um, judge the player's potential, especially uh, in that age, and predict what level they can reach. Yeah, because obviously you can always progress technically, um, put on muscle, uh, learn a new position. But something that's maybe harder to change is, yeah, as you said, the the mental aspect and having that um, hardworking mentality, winning mentality, um, watching how players react when you um, concede a goal, when you lose, when there's a foul, things like that. I feel like those things are harder to change and people just have different natures as people and as players. Um, and yeah, so obviously a, a very um, important uh, attribute to take into con- consideration when watching a player and something that can't be um, touched on by data and and things like that. So shows the importance of having an actual um, scout to kind of confirm or deny what the data has highlighted. Um, but speaking of of young players, um, there's a guy I wanted to ask you about, uh, which we kind of touched on before the recording, um, who was quoted in the top 60 or something like that, top, top youngsters in yeah, Europe top or top 60, um, Alexander Petreshvili. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts on this guy? Yeah, so Alexander Petreshvili, he's... Uh, a- He's definitely a very talented boy. Um, he um, had quite a few games uh, in Dinamo's B team uh, this year. And I believe uh, next year he will be promoted to the first team and he will have a significant amount of time in the first team. Um, he's a number eight, uh, a box-to-box midfielder for me. Um, he has a fan- fantastic vision, uh, great long passing. And uh, overall, w- when you look at him, he looks like a mature player, to be honest. Uh, and I think that he can perform really well uh, for the first team uh, next year. I think he's ready to make a step up. And uh, I think, I believe uh, he has uh, good potential because I know the player um, on, a, on a personal level. I mean, I know his character. And I think on that side, everything should be fine. So as, as long as he continues his progress and uh, developing technically, everything on, on the other side should be fine. And I think uh, he can reach a much higher level and I think uh, over the next few years, um, he should definitely move to Europe to a to a better club and a better league. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, I, I heard of him first when that top 60 uh, list came out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I obviously haven't been watching uh, Dinamo's B team so far. So couldn't really say or, or know much more about him. But yeah, I heard he's, he's very promising and kind of adds to that list of um, promising uh, Georgian players. Uh, I think the, the most recent one to come out of Tbilisi was um, Gabriel Sigwa, who signed for um, FC Basel last I summer, think. though it's yes. been a, a bit difficult for them so far. Um, Basel in general, even though they had a really interesting um, summer window, uh, they've had a difficult start to the season. But I think he scored one or two goals already, so having a, a decent start to his career there. Um, who would you say is your favorite um, up and coming Georgian talent? Well, uh, for me, um, maybe he's not as famous uh, on social media for now, but I think his name will start popping up 
uh, over the next few months. Uh, his name is uh, Vajo Salia. He's a center forward, 16-year-old, uh, obviously, Dinamo Tbilisi Academy. Um, and, um, and basically, he has shown some very good qualities in the past few months. Uh, he's been playing for the under-19s, under-17s as well. Um, and he actually, I think he had, yeah, he had a first-team debut, but like not a full debut, um, had some few minutes at the end of the season. Um, and I think uh, from next year, he, he should start playing more actively uh, in the first team, although he's 16 years old. Um, he's quite well-developed physically. I think he's 183 or 184 uh, in height. And um, I think on a, on a technical level, uh, he's quite well-developed, especially when considering his uh, his age. Uh, he has very good ball control. Uh, he knows how to position himself uh, in the box. And I think he has... Um, other very good attributes that would uh, help him um, to score goals for Dinamo Tbilisi next season. And it will be interesting, uh, especially because in March, he will be um, he, he will be called up to the under-17s uh, elite round. Uh, and then next September, I think uh, when the new youth league campaign starts, Dinamo will be participating in that because they won the local youth uh, youth league. So they will be in a youth champions league from next season, and uh, uh, he will definitely be there. And it will be uh, it will be very interesting to see him against some top European sides. And uh, yeah, I think this is uh, for me. This is the player showing the the biggest potential for now. Um, and uh, it will be interesting to keep an eye on him over the next few months. Yeah, the, the youth league is obviously um, always a great place to kind of notice the, the the next big big talents but at the same time as we've already touched on of course um i feel like a, a lot of the players who shine in the in that league it's probably mental uh, uh, um like me- mentality related but often those guys i mean sometimes obviously they break through in their team next the next season and have a great time from there but sometimes those those top guys that's like the peak of their career. And then for the rest, they'll kind of live off that hype that they produce during the youth league. So kind of a double-edged sword in, in that sense, I guess. Um, but, but when you started about, uh, when you started talking about this striker, you said um, um, from Dinamo BDC, obviously. Um, yes. What, what would you say is the reason that like even Farah, he he. When he left to Napoli, he was from Dinamo Batumi, right? But he yes. started off at the Tbilisi Academy. Um, how would you explain that? Like every um, every Georgian talent um, comes through their academy. How, wh- yeah. Why? Why is that? Yeah, there are a number of reasons. Um, I would say, uh, well, uh, there are a few scouts um, who work well, but I wouldn't say that they have a complicated scouting structure that and they have a magic formula and which allows them to find hidden gems. To be honest, uh, there are a set of uh, external factors that um, help Dinamo Tbilisi find those kind of hidden gems. And uh, first of all, I would start by saying that the, the population of Georgia is somewhere around uh, 3.5 million or something like that, something like in the region of 3-4. Um, and the population of Tbilisi uh, is 30% of that. It's like, uh, or even more, uh, it's more than 1, 1.2 million, somewhere, somewhere around that region. So there, 
the population of Tbilisi is uh, is huge compared to the to the rest of uh, rest of the country. Um, in Tbilisi, obviously, the biggest club is Dinamo. So when uh, when a parent wants uh, his kid uh, to become a professional footballer, of course they they bring him to Dinamo. That's 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 one thing. Um, at Dinamo, uh, places in the academy and in their uh, football school have always been full. Like um, it's the most complicated team to to um, to join because they never have uh, open uh, places, you know. And um, the thing is that they they benefit. Uh, Dinamo really benefits from 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 the name because like everyone obviously wants to play for Dinamo when they start their career uh, when they want to start their career in Georgia. Uh, they really benefit from the name and also from the fact that uh, the population of the city is very big and they have a huge sample of of players that they can choose from and freely. Like Dinamo has absolutely no competition in choosing the players, even in the most remote parts of Georgia. When Dinamo scout goes there and sees the player, if they just pick the player, they just they can just bring the player to to Tbilisi. That as simple as that because. Everyone wants to uh, play for for the club and uh, be trained by the academy. Um, so yeah, th- that that's a simple thing. Uh, some people see it as a, a I don't know a magical scouting department. Yes, the scouts are working well, but we benefit. Um, the club benefits from different external factors as well. Okay, so so in that sense, it's quite similar to what PSG have going on in France, where. Exactly, Obviously, yeah. per- the Persian region is one of the biggest producers of talents in the world. Well, they're the biggest club, so they just get all the top talents to to sign for them. So, okay, similar similar in that sense. But so yeah, it, Chelsea it, as well, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, it's just I definitely noticed that, like that is the case in France and in the UK in in England. Um, but I just thought it was even more extreme with Georgian players like yeah for sure nearly all of them were, were coming from Tbilisi but yeah that that does make sense um outside of outside of um outside of Georgian football and players do you have some other um players maybe that you've scouted or just that you know about who have particularly caught your eye yeah definitely um so basically, in Eastern Europe, I would say one of my favorite players um, may be already famous uh, because all the media reports uh, is Vasilije Ajic uh, from Montenegro, a 17-year-old um, attacking midfielder. I think he's, he's very good physically, very well developed, and he's definitely capable of uh, competing on a much higher level. I believe Juventus was interested in him. And then there was, I think it was Genoa or something, uh, another Italian club that was leading the race. Not sure how the situation is right now, but there were quite a few clubs, big clubs interested in him. And uh, I think that um, he has some good qualities that would um, help him to compete on a much higher level. From Eastern Europe, That's that would be my pick. And then, uh, funnily enough, um, I have a region that um, yeah, I unintentionally specialized in, I would say. And there's a funny story, and uh, I've never actually told this story to any of our scouts uh, who were scouting that region. Uh, but yeah, I will tell you now. So basically, when we started uh, our second internship at Dinamo in, in early August, a few weeks into the internship, 
um, I found out that uh, the Y Scout account, the only Y Scout account that we had, was not working anymore. It was deactivated, and uh, it turned out that uh, we hadn't paid for it. And because of the financial uh, difficulties at the club, the club was not able to afford to pay the monthly fee or whatever it is. Um, and basically, the account was deactivated. And we're, we were just a few weeks into it, like uh, two or three weeks into the the new internship. So I couldn't have just said, okay, you know, guys, goodbye. <laughs> we're not going to continue this. Because also, like, we actually had to scout some players. We had to prepare for the winter transfer window. So... I had to find a solution, and the only solution that I could find was to scout uh, the CONCACAF region. Um, and uh, basically, I found, yeah, that was the only solution because that was the only league that was streamed uh, consistently. Or there were all the games, um, and with good quality, actually, pretty good quality, uh, like HD and everything, um, on YouTube for free like anyone could have uh, watched it like anywhere in the world so um i ended up uh assigning games to our scouts of course i was watching those games as well um and we started with the under 17 concacaf um which was earlier this year i think it was february or march something like that and we found uh, a few good players and I will tell you who was my favorite one. But after that, we continued to scout that that region. We also scouted the Caribbean Cup that I discovered. I never knew that that was the thing. Uh, it turns out that the Caribbean Cup is actually a thing. Basically, there are it is a club competition where uh, the, obviously the clubs from the Caribbean islands yeah. uh, compete against each other, which is actually fun to watch. And um, this under-17 CONCACAF was, um, yeah, obviously national teams. And there was one player that I particularly liked, and I think uh, he has a very good potential. Um, his name is Olger Escobar. Uh, he plays for New England Revolution's B team uh, currently in the MLS Next Pro. He might even get uh, he might even get promoted uh, to the first team uh, from next season, but we will see. But at least from what I've seen, uh, he's very good. He's actually very very interesting. For some reason, uh, for for New England Revolution. He plays on the right wing, um, but basically he's left-footed. So I think the coach just decided him to put him on the right wing. But for me, he's not a right winger. I, I believe that he plays much better in the midfield, um, like a number eight, like classical number eight, operating in half spaces. And uh, he has a fantastic left left foot, uh, fantastic vision. And uh, he's fantastic on the half turn. And... Um, and, and yeah, he's pretty elegant in, in his style of play. And uh, I, I really enjoy watching him whenever he plays. So so keep an eye on him as well. <laughs> That's actually hilarious that through this um, technical difficulty, I guess, you, you yes. were able to kind of unlock uh, a new area, which probably, I'm guessing, wouldn't have ever been focused on or scouted in general if it wasn't the case. Um so did any any players from that region end up not necessarily signing but becoming like actual top candidates to sign for Tbilisi? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had a few players. Uh, well, we had a, a shadow team of players from the under-17 CONCACAF. I think um, there was also this Caribbean Cup um, and there were oh wait, there was also a, a, a competition called the Golden Cup, uh, which is also like a 
Central America, well, North America and the Caribbean islands. Yeah. And basically we had a, a list of players uh, for each position. We were uh, targeting two players from Barbados um, and uh, we were actually very close to um, bringing them on trials. At, like we're like half a step close. Um, but yeah, uh, because of the same difficulties that we had with Scout account, we weren't able to afford to bring them uh, to Dinamo, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, um, it was an eye-opening experience for me. Um, I actually, like previously to that, I've, I had never scouted the region. Like I only knew Thierry Gale uh, from Dilagori who went to Rapid Vienna. But other than that, yeah, my, my knowledge of the region was very, very limited. But now I can say that it, I can say that uh, I know quite a few players from that region, and yeah, I should definitely say that there are some very very interesting players over there. Um, and yeah, by the way, um, as a side note, um, when when discussing the Georgian players, I I forgot to mention one name that I I have to mention, uh, even though uh, we we said that scouting young players like 15, 16 year olds is very complicated. Uh, this guy is a 14-year-old kid uh, from Dinamo Tbilisi's Academy. And this might sound ridiculous that I'm mentioning a 14-year-old. Um, but but actually, from what I've seen uh, and f- from like everything around him, um, he, he, he's a fantastic player. And I think he will make his debut uh, in, in two years' time. Uh, when he's 16, he should be able to play for the first team without a doubt. If, of course, if he continues uh, to progress uh, as fast as he's progressing right now. Um, he's a fantastic player. Number 10, uh, his name is Andrea Bartishvili. And uh, yeah, um, he's maybe unknown for now, but I can assure you that over the next one or two years, his name will start popping up. And uh, I believe with, with such a progress that he's having right now, he should be able to play for the first team at the age of 16, without a doubt. That's some very interesting, exclusive insight. Um, maybe in a, in a good few years, we'll we'll see him um, start popping up on the these uh, news pages, next Wonder Kid um, uh, reports. But what would you say are his main qualities? Uh, as we mentioned, like maybe for these younger guys, the the main things that you notice are maybe the the mental aspect. What would you say are his main qualities that stand out? Yeah, of course, like mental aspect is something that um, I rate highly, uh, especially in that kid, uh, in Andrea. is a fantastic boy, uh, even though he's 14 years old, uh, off the pitch is, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. But on the pitch, you can see clearly that, um, well, the first thing that you will notice is that he, play, he plays with both feet. Like he, he's, uh, he can shoot with his left as well as he can shoot with his his with his right like uh uh he's like Dembele or Greenwood or whoever you want to name, name you know um and at the age of 14 this is something that you will you won't see very frequently uh, this is very 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 rare that the player at the age of 14 can play equally well with with both feet this is uh, super rare and uh, also uh, you you can see that uh, his control on the ball even when he's running at full speed um, on the counter-attack, let's say, he's not losing uh, control like for a second. He's always keeping the ball very close to his feet. And uh, this is very impressive because at the age of 14, you will see players losing balls like left, right and center, like 
all the time, which is normal for a 14, a 14 year old should lose balls like all the time. But this guy, I don't know what's wrong with him. Like I cannot explain. He's just talented and that's it. Maybe. So, so, so to, to get this straight, um, if in a few years time he signs for Napoli, we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, definitely not. Like at at the moment, he's showing that potential, and uh, so uh, only time can tell. Super interesting. Well, I'll I'll definitely add him to my list of Georgian talents to to keep an eye on. Um, I'll also uh, keep an eye on um, Ka Gent. If any <laughs> um, Afghan Afghan players come come through the uh, the transfer windows in the next few windows, I, I'll know exactly who they're. They're coming from, <laughs> by the way. Uh, a very quick funny story is that in the summer, uh, when we we also scouted uh, uh, Afghan um, under 20s, and one of the players that I really liked from Congo, um, I reached out to the agent and uh, and he told me that basically, uh, the player signed for Kent uh, a few days before, <laughs> oh. so <laughs> it was funny. There, and then I ended up at Ghent following yeah. that player. So maybe they they were ahead of the ahead of the game. Maybe they had the same problem with Y Scout and <laughs> uh, and opted for the same strategy. Um, maybe actually, do you um do you do exclusively like um remote scouting or do you also do um um in person like go watch games in this region or that? Yeah. Uh, so for example, at Ghent, um, because I started started very recently, like uh, one month ago. I hadn't had any like uh, traveling assignments for now. Um, I only travel. I've only traveled uh, uh, in Georgia for now uh, to watch some games. Mostly, um, I'm doing video scouting on Y Scout. But yeah, the idea is that basically, whenever there is a player in the region that I'm responsible for, whenever there is a player that we're interested in, I should go there. I should travel there, and I should watch them live because like live scouting is uh, essential. Like. Uh, um, it's it's key. Definitely, it's it's very important because uh, only through live scouting you can assess the player's character more accurate more accurately. I would say not very very accurately, but you can see some stuff that you wouldn't see on video. Um, his character, the way he reacts to uh, like referees' uh, decisions, maybe his teammates' mistakes, and all this kind of stuff. So uh, it is essential for sure. Have you ever had any? Uh, maybe bizarre experiences or or just uncomfortable or just funny stories regarding like in-person scouting well um to be honest i haven't had like ridiculous cases but um for example i can tell you that when we were scouting mamar dashvili um it was pretty obvious that he was a a leader on the pitch even though he was uh, 19 years old or 20 years old by, uh, back then and uh, you can see his character right there, um, his communication, uh, the way he was leading the back line, the way he was reacting to his own mistakes. Uh, sometimes you would see a goalkeeper considering a, uh, considering a goal because of his own mistake, and then they are depressed uh, the next second. But this guy just didn't care. Um, he, he forgot that he, he made the mistake just one second after making the mistake. So that was a big learning lesson for me. You couldn't see all the, those things on camera, to be honest. Like you couldn't couldn't see his character, um, his leadership. No way, no chance. 
So, uh, so yeah, uh, live scouting him was uh, was very important. But yeah, to be honest, I so far I haven't had any ridiculous cases other than uh, just seeing terrible pitches, uh, yeah, yeah. occasional like dog invasions <laughs> on the pitch, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Like pretty basic stuff that happens in Eastern Europe, <laughs> you know. Okay. Uh, no, no bad weather conditions or like transportations or things like that. Yeah, of course. Like bad weather conditions are um, are all, always the thing here, especially during the uh, during the winter. Um, we might have like heavy um, heavy rains, and uh, sometimes I I wasn't even able to uh, watch the game properly. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, nothing like very very ridiculous. I would say uh, so far, uh, pretty normal. Okay. Okay. I see. I think I think we'll I think we'll wrap it up on, on that note. Um, but anyway, it's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, and My thank course. you very much for your time and your insight. It's been very interesting from a, a personal level, and I think it'll probably be probably be sorry, uh, very interesting for the listeners as well. Um, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, uh, mostly on Twitter. Maybe um, I use Twitter the most. Instagram as well, uh, obviously LinkedIn. Uh, so th- there's three platforms, but uh, mainly I use Twitter. Yeah, what, they can what's find What's your find handle? Just Micha uh, underscore Gabichava. Okay, great. Well, his uh, Twitter handle will be in the show notes. Um, so we'll mine Alfred at driver underscore ICE, I-C-E-E, uh, on Twitter X as well. Uh, please also keep a lookout on our Get Football media outlets where we cover European football and world football with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged-in analysts across the football landscape. You can see a link in our show notes to all of our outlets. Please rate the podcast and give us a five-star review and feel free to leave a comment on our socials too. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Micha, as well. Thank you very much as well. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me as well. And we look forward to the next one. Bye-bye.